Well, uh, since September and January, we've had a lot of new people come in and leave, unfortunately. Also, uh, our church is very transient, people coming and going. Um, and because of that, people often don't know who, who's in charge here. Who are the elders? Who are the deacons? So I thought um, we'd take this Sunday to kind of introduce you, to, at least to our elders, um, and ask them to give you an exhortation for the year. To, to give you a, a word of encouragement uh, and challenge, hopefully. Uh, so I want to ask Danny Cortis uh, to come up and uh, um, introduce himself. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Danny Cortis. I've been coming to ICF for 20-something, 20, 20, 20 years. I uh, came to Christ just about there, um, about 19 years ago, and... Yeah, I've been serving as an elder. Uh, this is my second stint. Um, so for the, I think I've got another couple to go before you get rid of me, um, or have another break. So, um, Carsten asked us to give you a, a brief exhortation uh, for this year. So I want to read from Philippians four: Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So our salvation is assured, and the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of this. But if we really want to enjoy the peace, and to rejoice in the Lord each day, then we also need to do our bit to guard our hearts and minds as well. And this is my exhortation for you for, for this week or today and for the rest of the year. Guard your hearts and your minds. So I'm going to read verse 8 and 9, which will give us a good clue on how we can do this. So from verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So we're told to live our lives like Paul did and fill our minds with good things. So over Christmas, we had a family movie night. I chose the movie. It was an old classic that I used to think was great, one of my old favorite movies. But we were about halfway through, and one of the kids said, Dad, I'm really feeling bad. I feel really... Sorry. <clears throat> really feeling uncomfortable. And I'd been ignoring the bad language and the violence because I was excited to share this movie with my kids. And I was convicted then that I was actively exposing them to this bad language and, and, and violence. And some of the things as a shepherd father that I should be protecting them from. So Netflix, Disney, Amazon, TikTok and co. It's what many of us consume on a, on a daily basis. And 98% of this is full of lies. It's impure. It's ugly certainly not admirable and not worthy of our praise or our time. And if we stuff ourselves each day full of this rubbish, 
we will not be enjoying and being able to enjoying God and we won't be able to rejoice in God at all. In order to be sensitive to his prompting, recognize and react to his leadership and enjoy his presence in our lives fully, we need to feed ourselves and nourish our families with the word. Going to him in prayer, worshiping and praising him, enjoying Christian fellowship and feasting on things that are pure, noble, lovely, admirable, and praiseworthy. So my exhortation for you for this year is to guard your hearts and minds and feed and nourish yourselves on all things that are good. So I'm going to pass you over to Glenn. A good word, Danny. I've worked in um, Christian media most of my career, so I know how important this whole thing about media intake is. I don't want to only say garbage in, garbage out, but you know, that's the negative part, but there's also a a wonderful part of edifying. There's a lot of edifying media out there too. Well, uh, Angelica and I have been attending ICF uh, since 2011, and uh, none of them were around when we started here. Uh, Our eldest grandson is 10, so he was born in 2012, and uh, that's his sister next to him, those two live in Lutzelin in Gießen, um, not too far from us. And the other three uh, boys, Buben, live in Bielefeld with our younger daughter. And the, the, two little, the twins there, um, uh, Kayo and Matteo, they resulted from our younger daughter's desire f- for a girl. So that's what happens sometimes. And, uh, but we love them all. And uh, they keep us young and energetic and then, but a need to rest up when they've, when they've left or we've left them. So I felt the Lord lead me to share the following with you, which I think ties in well with, with um, what Danny read to us. And this is from Galatians chapter five, a string of pearls from Paul's wonderful uh, treatise about life in the spirit, true religion, as opposed to Mm, religion that has a form of religion but that denies the power thereof through legalism. So let me give you the following pearls. Excuse me. And you might want to read the whole chapter in, in the next couple of days yourselves. Chapter 5, Freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the 
flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, interesting word. That's a form of patience for difficult people or difficult circumstances, and it's really in relational. Starting again there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's a good note to end on, isn't it? God bless you all. Yeah, so those two men along with me are your shepherds, your overseers. And we feel a heavy weight of responsibility when we look uh, in our congregation. And each one of you is somebody the Lord has given uh, under our care. And so we do do our best. We're limited in number and uh, time and energy. But we do. We're all very approachable. And you should feel free anytime to talk to us about a concern or if you need care. Uh, James says, if you're sick, call the elders. Um, uh, in such a large congregation, we can't always know when we're needed. So don't hesitate to give us a call or email, and, and we'll come and pray for you and minister uh, to you. Uh, so those are our elders, and uh, maybe we would have one or two volunteers just pray uh, for myself and, and the elders. Would anybody be brave enough to spontaneously do that? Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, over these last, last week and this week and, and probably on to, into next week, we're going to be talking a little bit more about our vision and our mission as a church. And last week we looked at the Great Commission. This is the reason, this is the mission of any church, to make disciples, to be on the mission that God has uh, to redeem and save this lost world and to join him in his efforts. Typically, we're asking God to join us in our efforts, but where real power, where, where real um, meaning comes from is when we join God in what he is doing, and he is about making disciples. And so our church wants to be a disciple-making community. And this week, we're going to look at a vision, uh, which for our church, I don't know if you can see, yeah, everyone growing and leading others towards maturity in Christ. That's how we envision doing discipleship here, how we uh, join Christ in the Great Commission to make disciples. Um, from new believers, um, bringing somebody into the, the community, all the way up to sending people out into mission or being pastors or elders, um, the, the whole range from beginning to end is discipleship. It's about evangelism, but it's also about establishing and equipping and growing in the faith. And so a vision is a preferred future. It's a future destination which all we want to arrive at and we're traveling towards. Um, a vision implies that we're, we're not quite there. Not everybody is growing. Not everybody is leading others to, to maturity in Christ. And so a vision helps us all travel in the same direction and keep our eyes on the common goal as we follow Christ together. 
And as we learned last week, the church exists to be on God's mission of making disciples. And so our vision is how we intend to do that as a, a local church. Um, so as we do that, I think it's good to prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Uh, we're going to stand together and sing Solid Rock, and Debbie will do us the honors this morning. Ready? What gift of grace is Jesus My hope is built. Okay. What song is this? <laughs> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I did trust the sweetest frame, but holy Darkness fails to his lovely face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. standing uh, as I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning and we really do a gut check this morning of where we are in, in your mission, where we individually and corporately fit in your redemptive plan for this world. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today, would speak to us in a powerful way. Uh, not through uh, the, the excellence of my words, but, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working through the exposition of Scripture. Lord, may you do your work today in our hearts, and may that be manifest in our lives as we go out into the world this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians 1. And we're going to look at verses uh, 24 to 29, Colossians 1, 24 to 29. We're, we're just going to study verses 28 to 29, um, but I wanted to give you a little bit of context. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to his saints. And to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. The, the word of the Lord. So, uh, one more poll. Get your phones back out again. Considering that you, where you are in your Christian walk, since we're going to talk about maturity today, this is anonymous, I think, right, David? Uh, do an honest assessment of where, how you would categorize yourself spiritually. Where are you on the walk with Christ? An infant would be somebody that just has come to Christ. Mature uh, adult would be like an elder, a missionary, um, or just a, a faithful prayer warrior, uh, like we have here Ruth, for example. I would put you in that category, not to embarrass you. Thank you, Ella. Or, of course, Siggy next to her. <laughs> so somewhere along that spectrum, where would you honestly put yourself? So we get, I think, a fairly good breakdown. See where we are. So about a third of you would say you're, you're almost mature, but you just need a little bit more. Um, but a quarter of you would consider yourselves mature adults. Another quarter would be a teenager, um, spiritual child, spiritual. So it's interesting. This is where we are as a church. Well, our passage this morning speaks about how, how can we get there? How can we get to the next step, a little closer uh, to Jesus, to, to grow in maturity as we're often uh, um, asked to do throughout Scripture and commanded to do. So as we look at verses 28 and 29, we're really going to get an idea of how Paul did that. How did Paul bring up upon, uh, grow disciples and, and bring people to maturity in Christ. He says that's his goal uh, in verse 28. He says that's what he strives and toils to do is to present people mature in Christ. And he's going to tell us how exactly he does that. So this will hopefully be a practical sermon uh, about how you can grow uh, in maturity in Christ. So let's, let's just begin. We'll see. Um, how, how that breaks down. And then let's look at verses 28 and 29 again. Him we proclaim, uh, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, I struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
So the goal of Paul's ministry efforts, everything that he endures, the suffering, the beating, the persecution, uh, the traveling, and, and not having really a home, but just being on the road, everything he does, all this toil and struggle is for what? To present everyone mature in Christ. And that's why our vision as a church is like Paul's, to that everybody be growing in maturity and everyone helping somebody else to grow in maturity. It's a community effort. We need each other. And you can't grow as a cowboy Christian off on your own doing uh, your internet church or, or whatever. We need to be together in community. So if maturity in Christ is, is really the goal of discipleship, if it's good to ask, what does that mean? What does maturity in Christ mean anyways? If Paul wants to present people mature in Christ, let's focus a second on what is maturity. As elders this year, we've taken some time to study and pray together about what maturity looks like. It's, it, you might think it's easy to define, but it's actually quite a broad topic in Scripture with a lot of different connotations and, and meaning. But at its most basic, simple definition, we could just say maturity is being like Christ. Maturity is to be Christ-like, right? And that's the goal, that we become holy as God is holy, to be um, pure and Christ-like in our thinking and behavior and inner being. We won't ever be fully mature on this side of eternity, but there, there is some level of maturity that we can and should strive to attain in this life. So, for example, in Corinthians, Paul urges the, the church, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Or in Hebrews, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. So even though we'll never reach complete Christ-likeness uh, in this life, there are certain levels of maturity that we can aim for and should be making progress for in, in our walk with Christ. Paul and Peter and James, the author of Hebrews, all make reference to those who are mature in those churches that they're addressing. So let's double click on that word maturity so we can better understand it. Besides Christ's likeness, that, that can be kind of vague um, and, and maybe even impossible to attain. So how would we break that down to something realistic? Um, well, the word comes from the Greek root telos, which means aim or goal, right? So telos uh, is the aim, the destination of which we're headed. So just like an, an infant is born, uh, what's their destination? What's their goal? To become a mature, older adult. So mature going from, go, from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal, developed into a consummating completion by fulfilling the necessary process. That's a dictionary definition. So notice some aspects of this idea of maturity as we go through these. Um, think about how that applies to your walk with the Lord. So one connotation of, of maturity uh, biblically is human plant animal development. Um, Jesus is constantly using seed 
uh, root to fruit uh, type of pictures when he speaks about discipleship in the Christian life. And so mature is like uh, a plant that goes through the product of, of being planted and germination and sprouts and grows. And so Paul, and Paul often admonishes the churches not to be infants like children, like we've seen, but to be mature in the faith. So one is that, that process of development. And so where are you in that process of development? Two, maturity implies kind of a sense of fullness or completeness or, or, or even perfection. When Jesus tells us to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, he's saying be mature. The word he uses there is really mature. So be mature like your heavenly father. Three, maturity also implies Um, a a high level of competence. So a doctor, a PhD, who leads their field, they're mature in their knowledge of that that field. And finally, another connotation to maturity is one of goal or aim or purpose. Doing what we were created to do. Uh, Being what we were created to be. Very closely tied to identity. So when, we, when you use a hammer uh, to hit nails, uh, don't use it like a guitar uh, to play like an instrument. Um, so, so part of being mature is being what we were created to be. And we were created in the image of God, male and female. So this helps us understand a couple of important aspects about Christian maturity. Maturity comes as a result of a process. It's not instantaneous event. It's not as if at conversion we instantly become mature as if we're suddenly without sin. Uh, At conversion, we receive Christ's righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness not of our own. Um, and that enables us to approach God. It's, we're covered by Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness. And because of that, we can come into the presence of God and be filled with his Holy Spirit and commune with him so that we're, we're still sinners. We're still very much saved by grace, even though we've been justified and, and uh, given Christ's righteousness. We're still sinners. It's all grace. And we need grace at the end of our life just as much as we do in the beginning. So there's no boasting in our spiritual prowess. You'll notice the more mature a Christian gets, the more aware they are of their sinfulness, the more humble they tend to be, the more gentle they tend to be, um, the more forgiving they tend to be. So maturity is the process of living into this identity that we've been given in Christ. And so like adopted, like an adopted street child would... would who would be adopted by a great king would need to learn a whole new culture, a whole new way of being, a whole new way of behaving. So also we progressively grow into our new status as children of God. And so this process is, is very similar to the development of a human being from infant to child, to young adult, to parent, we grow into maturity. So as a similar process is described in scripture, look at Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. He says, he's, he's, he's um, correcting them. He's like, guys, you've been in this for a while. You need to be further than you are. And he said, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so as we grow in the faith we do progressively begin to look more like Christ. Sins are, are overcome. 
our knowledge of God's will becomes clearer. The word becomes impressed upon our hearts so that we instinctively know what the Lord wants and what is right and what is wrong in any given circumstance because the word has taken root in our hearts. Unity and generosity and showing grace to others becomes more a natural part of our life. We forgive others as Christ forgave us because we realize the depth of our sinfulness and how beautiful this gospel of grace is. And the fruits of the Spirit become more visible in our lives, as Glenn exhorted us today. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits become evident in our life. So what's happening on the inside, in our hearts, becomes manifest in our speech, in our behavior. You, you can't fake, fake it. Accompanying our good works should be kind of an inner disposition. We're not bitter, we're not angry, we're not aggressive or proud. You can do a lot of good works with a miserable attitude, with a self-righteous attitude, with a lot of eye-rolling at others and straining yourself and constant worrying and anxiety so that you, after you serve, you're just worn out because you've done it all in your own strength. Rather, good works done in the power and the zeal of the Lord are accompanied by joy and happiness and gentleness and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. So a sort of quiet confidence should describe our inner state of being as we trust the Lord to make our works effective. And so this idea of maturity can be summarized as the result of a process whereby we become more and more like Christ and less and less like our old man or old woman. And so the elders have kind of isolated three main arenas where this type of growth happens, and we see this constantly in Scripture, to guard your hearts, to guard your minds, to um, behave and avoid certain sinful behavior. And so this result of a steady progress from good roots to visible fruits begins in our heart with a transformed heart, that loves God with, with wholeheartedly and loves other people. So our affections, that whole realm of what do you love? What do you spend time? Uh, what stirs your emotions? What breaks your heart? What, what makes you angry? What makes you sad? What makes you happy? You know, the, the, the heart has to be converted to the Lord. And then out of that becomes a, a renewed mind shaped by the truths of the gospel. And so we grow in, in knowledge about not just facts, but also in intimacy with who Jesus is. Are your thoughts formed by Scripture or the world around you? What do you daydream about? What do you spend time consuming mentally when you have free time? Like Danny told us, all this media, how much are you consuming that is really good and edifying? And then when our heart and mind are working together, that results in our behavior, our hands. So how do you spend your time, your energy, your money, the, the, the basic resources God has given us? Do you use it for yourself or do you use it for others? Are you sacrificially serving others and the Lord's mission? So these are kind of arenas that you could look at concentric circles that go out of personal growth that the New Testament constantly is coming back to and training and refining. Your affections, your, your thoughts, 
and your behavior. So your heart, your mind, your heart, your head, and your hands, you can say. So um, if that's the goal, if that's the destination, how do we get there practically? Well, Paul tells us. Paul tells us how he matures people. Look again at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul actually tells us how he disciples the the churches that he serves. And he shares his disciple method, very plain, very simple. And he mentions these three things, proclaim Christ, warn everyone, and teach everyone. So if this is how Paul (laughs) grew churches to maturity, then it needs to be true for our church as well. We also need to be about these three things in all of our activities. We need to Christ proclaimed in our lives. We need to be open and receptive to admonition and warnings about sin. And we need to be learners, uh, not just factually, but um, relationally with Christ. So let's look at those in a little bit detail. Him we proclaim. It begins with keeping Christ central in all that we do. And when he's speaking Christ, he's speaking the gospel, right? The message of the cross. We have a great gospel summary just a few verses before just right before this in verse 21 to 23 we have one of the great gospel summaries in the bible and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy uh, blameless above reproach before him So that's what Christ wants to do. He wants to present you to the Father, holy, blameless, above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. So proclaiming Christ, this gospel message, this basic message of our sin and God's holiness and sanctification and how we get there and, and this gospel of grace that has been given to us, this message has to be what's driving our sermons, our songs, our prayers, our Bible studies, our counseling, even our conversations. It has to come back to the gospel. Him we proclaim. We were alienated, we were hostile to God because of sin in our life. Our sin created an obstacle, a barrier between us and the holy, pure God. But because God loves you, he saw your condition, he brought about reconciliation, healing, forgiveness, restoration, by taking sin upon his own body and dying our death. And why did he do that? So that through the gospel, we can be pure and blameless in his presence. Not because we are pure and blameless, but because Christ's purity and Christ's blameless life has now been bestowed upon us as a gift. That is awesome. And that's the gospel message. And we can't waver from it. We can't deviate from it. We can't change it. We can't add to it. We are sinful. God is holy and pure. Christ died for us so that we who are sinful might stand before a holy God and commune with him, relate to him, pray to him, know him, be considered a child of him. (laughs) This is amazing. You can experience the supernatural life here and now. 
right? It's what Buddhist monks long for but can never have. It's what Muslim imams dream of but don't know the way. It's what New Age gurus search for but are looking in the wrong place. The gospel is infinitely better than any self-help manual you're going to pick up or TED talk you're going to listen to. The gospel has power to bring life to dead people and light to darkened eyes, to break the power of addiction and hatred and unforgiveness. Humanity can be in the presence of a holy God this very day, filled with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus has given us his status and his righteousness. That's good news. I've seen this gospel message transform self-centered jerks to become the most loving, gentle person in the room. The gospel works, and this is a good news message. And so, him we proclaim. Paul said to the Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. Him we proclaim. And this is so important to remember because we live in a day and age that's full of sound bites. It's full taking complicated things and putting them into 30-second TikTok videos and Instagram bits. We, we have 10 steps of self-help. So for us here in ICF, the center of discipleship process needs to be the gospel found in his word to us. Not human wisdom, but divine wisdom from scripture. So as you gather in your different discipleship groups, small groups, grapevine groups, men's breakfast, um, what, what other things do we have? Your two, two or three people just gathering in prayer. Um, don't make your issues the central theme of the discussion. Don't make your story every, the thing that everybody else has to f- talk about. Make Christ's story central. Make your story fit into what he is doing into this world. And then relate your personal issues to what he's already done, what he is doing, and what he has promised to do in your life. And where do you fit in with that plan? Not how does God fit in with your dramas. You're not the main character of this life. He is. And so make him the main character in your discipleship groups and small groups too. Proclaim Christ. The next thing Paul says that he does to present people mature in Christ is to warn everyone. When I was a teenager, I know I've shared this before, but it's the principle I go to when I have to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. When I was a teenager, my dad had an image and he always used when speaking to us about poor decisions or not even allowing us to do things. Dad, can I go to this party? Or can I hang out with this group of friends? And because he was involved in my life, he knew who those people were, and he said, no. (laughs) And I would protest. And my dad would give me this picture. If you saw a good friend of yours, somebody you loved, getting into a truck without brakes, wouldn't you tell him to get out of the truck? (laughs) That's, That's the picture he gave me all the time. And I would say, yes, of course. And he would say, well, that's why you can't hang out with that, those guys or go to that party. You know, we need these kinds of warnings in our life, no matter how old you are. Yeah? The, the, the temptations change. 
But the, the, the fact that we are ready to dive into that truck in a second, that doesn't change. And it's not a finger-wagging nag, but it's a warning that comes from a loving place. Hey, I really care about you, and I, I need to tell you this. When Paul was leaving the Ephesian church to go to his death, the, the last thing he said to them, remember, remember, don't forget everything I told. Don't forget those warnings. For three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. There's a real hell out there, guys. And, and people are going to it. And we should be concerned. We should be, that should make our bellies on fire for these people that are lost. We should warn them about the reality of false teaching of going astray, of the lures of the flesh. These are Satan's strategy to deceive and blind people. And that's why the New Testament is filled with warnings. And it's for our good. And so when we challenge you here from the pulpit, it's out of love. There's a very real hell. And I don't want you to go there. Unrepentant sin will lead you there. And it will make this present life unfulfilling and miserable. You're going to be filled with discouragement and bitterness and resentment. And I, I have seen small sins grow into giant sins that have ruined people's lives, ruined people's marriages, ruined their children's lives. Unrepentant sin will lead you to hell. And so Jesus said, what? Broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So we need these warnings we need these guardrails to avoid the pitfalls and the dangers of this life. That's part of discipleship, discerning what is good and evil. Proverbs says it this way, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy will multiply kisses, will just uh, flatter you. We live in a day when people can't tolerate being challenged or corrected. We have literally reached the pinnacle of self-justification, self-righteousness, I think. So you're, you will not grow in the Christian life if you do not have a brother or sister or pastor or elder who doesn't warn you and help set up guardrails for the Christian life. So in your discipleship groups, in the men's cook breakfast, in grapevine, in small groups, in relationships, you need to be talking about sin. You need to be talking about sin. And, and we're saved by grace, yeah? We should be unashamed to talk the, the, about the sin in our life. We should, should be guilty, maybe. Um, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that precious blood of Jesus. So confession and assurance should be a rhythm of your discipleship process. Remember, God, Jesus wants to present you blameless and pure before his Father. We need to grow into that. When we look at the statistics, um, men, of pornography, for example, if you're into this, you need to be killing it. You need to be killing it, or it's going to be killing you. Women, uh, sorry to say it, but you are prone to gossip, to idolizing your families and your children, um, to age um, in a way that, that makes you bitter and resentful. We, we, we have to be talking about those sins in our life. It's such a huge part of the Christian life is unlearning, unlearning sinful patterns of behavior, unlearning how we listen, how we obey 
our sinful desires, unlearning our old way of life so that we ought to be confessing sin and then proclaiming Christ's grace and mercy into that sin. And so we need to give people time and space and be gracious as we do this together. Bearing one another burdens, forgiving one another, showing grace to one another, it's a sign of a healthy relationship. But you can't show grace if we're not real enough with one another to, to even be made to stand in need of grace. So we have to be transparent and open. So warning everyone means being honest about ongoing sin in our lives and proclaiming Christ into those areas. Christ has conquered that sin in your life. He can free you from it. So the Christian journey to maturity involves an unlearning, but obviously also the next and last thing, it's teaching, right? A a learning, everyone with all wisdom. So teach wisdom just so as we unlearn our past way of living, we, we also begin to learn a new way of living. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the idea, and he says, oh yeah, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this idea of a yoke is a great image of discipleship, of a a, a stronger, more mature ox helping a weaker ox the field. So that's, that's how ancient the yoke would work in, in the ancient farming. A stronger one and a weaker one. And this is why Jesus' yoke is light, because he's paid the price. He's done the work. He's doing the heavy lifting. And we carry, uh, um, uh, come alongside him. So we're yoked to him in, in salvation. That's what justification is. He's covenanted to be in us and not to let us go. And so we're yoked to him when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So learning Jesus is a central part of the Christian life. Learning to discern what is good and right and what is evil and harmful. And this takes training and practice. Uh, This is like the third time I've referenced Hebrews 5. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So discipleship is a constant practice of learning to distinguish good from evil. And that's just a daily application of the gospel into our lives. We're sinful, but we're saved by grace. And applying that gospel into our workplaces, our our homes, our friendships, our, our entertainment, our use of time, money, energy. So in your discipleship groups, in your men's groups, in your women's groups, small groups, it's important that you're also learning from one another how to live out the faith, how to apply the gospel to our whole life. You know, on Sunday morning, we we hear from the Lord, we hear the word of God, and our discipleship groups throughout the week is learning to apply that word to our daily life. And that's a dialogue, right? That's something we need to do in community together. And so, Learning how to apply this to all of life, learning, it implies failure. How else do you learn? Often from our mistakes. Learning is about finding the Christ-like thing to do in any situation. How would Jesus speak to this person right now? How would Jesus handle this situation? How, how, 
have, have, how would he have this difficult conversation? Because he's in me, and he will empower me to do that. To know what Christ would do, you have to walk with him every day. Jesus said, whoever would be his disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him daily. Daily. Remember, learning doesn't just mean facts about Jesus. It means knowing him as a person. It's a relationship. You can't give Jesus five minutes of your day and call it a relationship. It's about spending quality time in his word with his people and in conversation with him through prayer. That's how you grow in knowing Jesus. So to summarize... Paul's ministry strategy has a clear goal. He wants to present people mature to God. Uh, He has a clear path on how to get people there, right? Maturity is the goal, and the way to reach that goal is proclaiming Christ, speaking the gospel into all of life, warning each other, and teaching in all wisdom. And so discipleship becomes that process of hearing the gospel, unlearning our old way of life, and warning and learning Christ together. And Paul leaves after, in verse 29, he gives us a word of hope, okay? So this will be our conclusion, which I think perfectly strikes the balance between our part and God's part in all of this. So look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggle, right? And so those words are laborious, hard words. It's not like I kind of, go to the gym and go through the motions. and That's not toiling. It's like sweat and blood and working with all his strength and all of his might. But then what does he say? With I work, I do this with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. So Paul toils and struggles. Uh, he really is giving 100% to this. He's giving everything he has. The language of toil and struggle, like I said, is is blood, sweat, and tears. So we have to get up early and and get into the word. We have to be active. We can't just be passive. We have to be a part of some type of small group or discipleship group or, or setting where you're with other believers praying together, digging into the word where the spirit can minister and fill our hearts where you're in community, proclaiming Christ, warning and teaching one another. You, you, you do have to put your needs aside and sacrificially serve. We have to do work. Like Calvin famously said, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It always has to be accompanied by works, right? Or like James said, faith without works is dead. But notice what happens when, when Paul toils and labors and struggles with his energy, that he powerfully works in me. So as we put our feeble efforts forward, there's a synergy that happens as God meets our efforts and to make them effective and powerful. We have to realize that God is in this whole process of maturity. It is not all up to us as if Jesus got us on the path and now we have to finish in our own might and strength. No, Christ is in you. And as we fight this battle, as we toil and labor, Christ is powerfully working in us and through us. 
it's 100% him and it's 100% us. It's a partnership. And so as we need to tune our ears and hearts to what God is saying to us through the Spirit, Jesus said, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. So as we fill our heart with the word of God, the spirit is going to be flooding into us and giving us the strength and energy that we need for the tasks. We have God's Holy Spirit in us, guiding our conscience, influencing our will, changing our hearts. And when we are intentional about growing and surrendering our life to him, he is right there with us. And so as we toil and strive and labor, he meets us in that and makes our efforts supernaturally effective. When we're about his business, his agenda, when we join him on his mission, that we'll find it's not him coming alongside us, but rather we get to come alongside him and what he's doing in this world. It's not our mission, it's his and so, you know, so often we want to make the Christian life about God joining us in our daily life, God coming alongside us in this endeavor or that endeavor, um, that God helping me in my job or answering this prayer about uh, this meeting. Um, but God told us that, that he kind of already told us what he's up to. He's busy making disciples. When we join him in that mission, this is when we begin to see those God things happening in our life. As we toil, struggle, his energy, he powerfully works within us. So discipleship is not about asking God to come alongside us, but rather it's when we begin to join God in what he's doing that this explosive growth begins to happen. So as we conclude this morning, our goal as a church is that everyone's growing and everyone is leading others towards maturity in Christ. And at this point, I'd love to give you 10 steps to become mature. Or give you a, f a list of things to do, right? Five things to get off the sidelines and into the game. But really, that's not going to do anything but burden you with rules and laws. The, the real question you have to answer is pretty simple. Are you living this one short life for yourself or for him? Because if you're living for him, if you've truly surrendered your will to his will and your agenda to his agenda, then these things that we've been talking about are going to be happening in your life. And if you're not growing in the faith, then it's not unreasonable to ask if you've ever truly believed in the first place. First John 2 says it this way, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must Live as Jesus did. If we've tasted the love of God in Jesus, if we've surrendered our will to his will, if we've received the Holy Spirit in our hearts, then everything we've just talked about is going to be happening in your life. And if it's not happening, then let me warn you now about getting into a truck without brakes. But the good news is this. You don't have to get into that truck. Jesus provides a way back to him, and his mercies are new every morning. 
That's the gospel. Jesus is inviting you to join him on his mission. And that's what being a disciple is all about. It's not about God helping you with your mission. It's about joining Jesus on his. If you're on mission with Jesus, then joining a small group or asking someone to be a discipling relationship isn't going to be a burden. Coming to a prayer meeting is going to be a joyous and fun activity that you don't want to miss. Serving sacrificially in the church isn't a chore or a task, but it's going to be an honor and a privilege. If you're here today and you'd like to know more about this supernatural life that Jesus offers, then come and talk to me or one of the elders, and we'd love to tell you about Jesus and pray with you. It starts with the recognition that God has given you this one life to live. This one life to live. And admitting that we've taken this life and we've said, this is mine. But Jesus' invitation is simply this. If you want to find your life, then surrender it. If you want to keep your life, then you've already lost. And so I'd invite you to come to me, one of our elders, and think about who you're living for. So are you living for him or are you living for you? Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Let's be a church that it's about the master's business. When we're about the master's business, our hearts will be full, our minds will be renewed, and our bodies will be full of zeal and power. Those are promises that God gives us in Scripture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the challenge uh, that your word gives us, all of us. Lord, none of us are perfect. We're all sinful. None of us have arrived at the goal. And so, Lord, we pray that your grace and your mercy might, might be newly discovered by our congregation. That, that maybe somebody that's been walking with you for, for years have, have never realized the, the beauty of the ongoing grace that you show us on a daily level. And so, Lord, I pray that we might be enamored with you that your, your grace and love that you shower upon us might flood our hearts and shine spotlights on areas that we're still holding on to. Lord, I pray that you would bring people together in discipling relationships, um, whether that's through a program or, or just over coffee and, and continually meeting to pray and dive into your word and to confess sin and to be reassured of your your goodness and grace to us. So Lord, this year, uh, help us to continue to to not make our agenda bigger than yours, and to ask ourselves how we're joining you on your mission. I pray that you do that through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.